Hello and welcome to episode 136 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson. How are you, Bryson? I am doing good, Mark. Thanks for asking. Uh, a little bit of an all-star break now, so the Jays are off. And unfortunately, we do not have Jacob with us this week. He has decided to take the all-star break himself and go to a cottage. So as much as we're jealous about him being there, us too, we will record uh, during the all-star break. So I'm doing all right. Yeah, as much as I love this podcast, wouldn't mind being in a cottage right now. Um, yeah, so we're at the All-Star break. We're at the halfway point. We're going to have the Home Run Derby tonight. No Blue Jays in it, unfortunately, but it's still going to be fun to watch. And then the whole, the All-Star game tomorrow is going to be a whole lot of fun. We got four Blue Jays in it. Three guys are starting. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch that and have the Blue Jays represent there. Um this series against the Rays didn't go the way a lot of people wanted it to, but the Blue Jays take one of three. That one win being yesterday on Sunday in the series finale in the first half finale with Robbie Ray having one of the best starts in years, I think. Um, by game score, it was the best start by a Blue Jay since Marco Estrada's perfect game bid in 2015 against the Tampa Bay Rays as well. So just one of the all-time great starts, I think, for Blue Jays starting pitcher in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were entering that first series against the Tampa Bay Rays, what the expectations were for this three-series set, what had to happen in six games against the Rays, three games against the Orioles. Um, a little bit different now because one of those games against the Orioles got rained out, but the Blue Jays went 500 over that span. They took... Two of three from the Rays in the first series. They split that two-game set against Baltimore, and then they lose two of three to the Rays. Um, I'm pretty happy with this. I mean, I obviously would have been nice to get more, and I think, of course, you would have got more if you had that three-game set, and that the the end game of that Baltimore series didn't get rained out. But when you look at it, going 500 against a team that is, what, 53 and 39 or something, that's what the Rays are right now. Going 500 against a team like that, I'll take that any day. And then Baltimore, you know, it's one game that you lost. It's not like the Blue Jays totally self-destructed. It's only one game they screwed up. I'm happy with what they did over this um, nine-game set. Is it enough? Um, we've talked about how the positioning of the Blue Jays will determine what they do at the trade deadline. Is this set of games enough to put them over the edge in terms of the deadline? I don't know. But um, I don't know if you can really ask for more. Maybe you can ask for a two-game sweep with Baltimore. But from what we know of the Blue Jays, from what they were able to do, I'm happy with it. Yeah, um, I think it's a decent way to go into the All-Star break. Definitely not, I mean, the most perfect way possible, but it definitely could have gone worse. And yeah, I'm fine with it as well. When you, as the Jays enter the All-Star break now, or pretty much every team, the Jays currently sit four and a half games back of that second wildcard spot. So they lose a game since the last time we recorded, or they fall a game behind. But however, they're still in it. And they're still in there with Seattle. And of course, Oakland's currently sitting in the second wildcard spot. But as of now, the only team... Ab uh, above the Jays in the wildcard standings uh, that is in contention, which would be the Mariners who are in third place. And of course you have Tampa and Oakland who are currently hit holding those two wildcard spots. So yeah, um, I think when you go back to last weekend, the series with Tampa in Buffalo, it goes perfectly planned. I mean, from what I, or for anyone's expectations, you win two out of three. So you have a, you win the series. And of course you have one more road trip before the end of the all-star break. We know that the Baltimore series got rained out, like you mentioned. So the Jays end up splitting it one to one. Obviously, it's fine. Uh, it's ideal. It's just not what you wanted. You wanted the Jays to hopefully sweep. 
and uh, they didn't get that opportunity because of the rainout, but of course they do drop that first game, which was disappointing. And then, for my expectations personally, I wasn't expecting a series win this weekend uh, at the Trop. We all know how the Trop is with the Jays. We all know how, in fact, just the race itself, the Jays have a problem being in the race at times. So I was hoping that it was anything better, anything other than a sweep, which is why I'm fine with the way this weekend went. And then when you want to look at last weekend when the Jays hosted Tampa and Buffalo, that is why winning that series was crucial for me, in my opinion, because of this weekend at the Trop, uh, you lose two out of three. So that's why it was crucial for them to win that series. And I wasn't expecting much this weekend just because of those reasons alone. It just feels like the Jays never, no matter who's on this team, have a good, I guess, chance winning in Tampa. And we all know the problems that they have. I mean, game one was a 7-1 to loss. And I mean, that. I don't. you don't want to... Dive into that too much, and of course, game two, um, another where Ross Stripling had a, one of his first starts of the season, where or one of his uh, for the first time in a while, it was one he struggled is pretty much what I'm trying to say. So Stripling struggles for the first time, and I guess almost almost two months, at least over a month for sure. And you, you drop that game 5-2. However, you do end the series off on a winning note going into the All-Star break. Robbie Ray, like you mentioned, probably one of the best starts um, in a while. Definitely one of definitely probably his best start of the season so far. And he brings the no-hitter in pretty much past the middle innings going into the later innings. He was phenomenal. And he did end up only giving up one hit in his start. So he goes seven innings. He gives up one hit. No one runs one walk. 11 strikeouts, and he's quickly becoming that Blue Jays ace right now. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about it since the All-Star break is here. Do you go back to Robbie Ray this Friday in terms of, um, you know, maybe readjusting the rotation a little bit? It's going to be a five days rest for him anyway. It's not like he's going to be pitching on short rest. I'm not against the idea at all. I think the Jays did say that they're going to readjust the rotation a little bit to avoid uh, lefties going back to back to back in terms of, uh, that in the early part of the rotation. So I would love to see Robbie Ray personally go back on the mound on Friday, but either way, he heads into the All-Star break on a, I mean, an amazing note, and that's where the Jays uh, finish it off with a 3-1 win over the race. So not, a, you know, it, it's de- it's fine. It's ideal. It could have been better for sure, but it also could have been worse. So anything other than a sweep this weekend was my was my expectations, which is why I'm fine with it. The Jays are now at the All-Star break. We have a cool weekend going on right now in terms of yesterday, the Futures game, the celebrity softball game, and of course, something that I wish or I'm hoping that the MLB sticks to now because it just feels like the draft is on a bigger platform this year, and I love how the draft's on during the All-Star break, and of course, the draft's ongoing as we speak. I believe they're in in round two as we speak. So uh, the draft starts yesterday. The Jays obviously pick 19th. We know who they selected. We'll talk about that in a bit. And, um, you know, now you have the home run derby on Monday night, which is the day we are recording. So it's tonight. Mark, I know that you love the home run derby. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit later on as well, even though there's no Jays. And Tuesday night, we all know that we have three Blue Jays starting. And then, of course, we have Bo Bichette as a reserve. So we're going to have four Blue Jays. We're probably going to see Bo Bichette at some point. And, of course, the season gets back on track Friday. So not a, not the worst position for the Jays. Definitely decent. Could be better. Four and a half games back of the wild card spot. And now they got to hopefully stay in contention past the All-Star break and go on a run because that's what they're going to need to do if they want to make the playoffs. I know all the eyes are going to be on Shohei Otani tonight. And this is going to be outdated real fast when people listen to this. But my money is still on Pete Alonso. He's wow. undefeated champion from 2019. I think he's a little bit of an underdog, you know, with the names like Shoei Otani and Juan Soto making his um, derby debut, and you got other guys like Trey Mancini, Trevor Story are in it, but I think Pete Alonso's got it. Uh, that's who I bet on, and 
Um, anyone who watches his podcast knows how much he looks like Jacob. So uh, another reason to root for him. But um, yeah, I think the all-star break for the Blue Jays is a perfect opportunity to kind of reevaluate. You know, for any team it is, but especially for the Blue Jays. And we, you look at the rotation, it's a time to reconstruct. It's a time to say, okay, Robbie Ray is now our ace. If I was lining up the caliber of starters, I would put Ryu as a fourth starter. Yes, maybe he comes back and like, but right now with just how they're doing right now and how you, you know, you're pushing over the next two weeks to make a wild card spot or at least get into the position to make wild card spot so you can make moves at the deadline. Ryu is not the number one guy. Ray is. So, yes, you start Ray as soon as you come back from the deadline. Get him as many starts as possible. That also lines him up to start in the series against Boston, which is, of course, a pivotal series as well. So, I would like to see the Blue Jays do that. It's on perfect rest schedule. You don't have to fiddle with anything. It just makes sense. And it also breaks up the rest of the rotation, like you said, with the three lefties starting in a row. That doesn't make sense. You want to break that up. Gives the Blue Jays every little bit of an advantage that they can. That's another thing I'd like to see. So yeah, it's a perfect time to reevaluate, see you know who's having success so far, who's not, um, and where the Blue Jays can make adjustments. Um, you mentioned the draft. Uh, we only know one pick right now. The Blue Jays don't get a second round pick because they signed George Springer, who was offered a qualifying offer last season by the Astros, so the Blue Jays miss out on their uh, draft pick in the second round. But in the first round, they take uh, Gunnar Hoagland. Um, he is drafted 19th overall, a right-handed pitcher out of Mississippi State, I believe. Um, might have Correct. that wrong. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I think it's I think good, it's entertaining yeah. that uh, every, every draft cycle, uh, you know, everyone always pretends to know everything about the draft for two days, even though, you know, we none of us pay attention to any of the amateur scouting or stuff before the d- the draft or after the draft. It's like two days where we all pretend to be experts and that's it. Um, but yeah, he's 6'4", righty, um, a fastball 92 to 95 miles an hour. He's got a hard slider that sits around 85 miles an hour. He also has a curveball. Um, all three of his pitches are graded at 55 by Baseball America, well, his control is graded at 70, so he's got incredible control. Um, the big thing with him, or at least what people are saying, again, we all pretend to be experts, um, but the big thing with him is the health. Um, he was drafted in 2018, 36th overall by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, they ended up not coming to a deal because of health concerns and his physical after the draft. Um, this year, he was shaping up to be a top 10 guy, top 10 draft pick, but um, he had to undergo Tommy John surgery in May after an injury, and he fell to number 19 to the Blue Jays, so this is the kind of pick that has, you know, a really high upside. He is a top 10 talent, but also has a lot of potential, you know, volatility. It could go either way. It could, you know, totally go south for the Blue Jays if he ends up coming back from Tommy John surgery you know, keep getting injured, have a history of injuries. So that's the two sides of this coin for the Blue Jays. Um, some people mentioned some comparisons to Walker Bueller. Um, he's a guy who had Tommy John surgery, I think, in university, um, but he ended up, you know, being drafted by the Dodgers, coming back from it, and making it to the majors and being, you know, who he is right now. So maybe that's who he ends up being, or maybe he ends up being, you know, a guy like, I can't think of a comparison, but someone who's just always injured. So um, high upside, 
potentially low floor, but you know, at the 19th pick, you got to take a little bit of a gamble. And I don't know, every draft pick is a good draft pick until two years down the road and we can see what they become. And that's the beauty of the MLB draft is there's just so many unknowns and question marks. And of course, in particular for this one, you mentioned it, Gunnar Hoagland, who underwent Tommy John surgery, I believe it was in May. And that is why he dropped, and that is why people believe he was a top 10 talent, like you mentioned, Mark. So the Jays are taking a gamble on this, and of course, I guess the only good part about it, and we all know that Tommy John's different for everyone, so that's the only thing you can really um, talk about, is just how the impact of Tommy John, will he be the same, will he not be the same? The Jays are going to be taking a gamble on this because they're going to believe that they can help uh, Gunnar Hoagland rehab his elbow, and I guess the only good part about this, or the best part about this, is that he is obviously his age in terms of, you know, could he, it, you know, just, in, uh, it's increasing the likelihood that he can rehab that arm and rehab that elbow and be back to the caliber of a player that he was in terms of being a top 10 talent supposedly in this draft. So that's why uh, when you look at it, it's a decent pick. It's, you know, you can't go wrong drafting a starting pitcher. I think everyone was kind of hoping they picked anything other than an infielder. I think they were mentioning that too on the draft board when the Jays were on the clock in terms of how their, str- their strongest suit is the infield. And I don't know what the heck they would have done if they drafted another infielder. So thank God that they didn't. It was either going to be an outfielder for even a catch or two. It was either going to be an outfielder or a starting pitcher. So I'm glad that they go with the starting pitcher. Um, you know, similar to what they did in 2019 when they selected Alec Manoa. So they kind of go back on that route. Who knows how long it takes before um, he signed. But of course, we probably won't be seeing him pitch until some point next year, wherever he starts. So he's got a, a lot of rehab ahead of him. And yeah, you know, everyone's not, we're not going to pretend that we are experts on this draft. But of course, the day of is usually when I kind of do my research a little bit or look at some mock drafts or some, you know, anything like that. So that's why um, I have a decent idea of who this is, but not a great idea. And I'm not going to act like I know everything about him other than what the basics of what we've already mentioned in terms of how he's a top 10 talent. So it'll be interesting to see if Gunnar Hoagland can rehab, if he can repair that elbow and go back to the form that he was. And if not, I guess, oh well. But, you know, the Jays take a gamble on it, and that's the beauty of the MLB draft is you probably won't see this guy for at least two to three years, at least. I mean, obviously Alec Manoa was a different case, but especially somebody who underwent Tommy John surgery, he has a long road of recovery ahead of him and a lot of development ahead of him as well. So we're going to see what happens with him. And, um, you know, you look back in a couple years, and we will know if it was a good pick or not because we have to see everything like that so far but you mentioned it the Jays do have two picks I believe they have one more pick Um, I think it's in the 90s from what I remember and right now they're doing round two as we record this episode of, of, of our podcast so we'll see what happens there but Either way, I still like the idea of the MLB draft being during the All-Star break. And uh, I think a lot of people, too, didn't realize uh, that round one started yesterday. I think a lot of people were kind of caught off guard by that. But uh, it's interesting, and it's all part of the All-Star festivities now. So we have a a couple good days ahead of us. But it's always cool, I guess, seeing the MLB draft in terms of people getting called. Obviously, it wasn't virtual like it was last year. Where And then in this case, too, people were able to boo Commissioner Rob Manford when he stepped up to the podium. So I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. I know we see it in a lot of sports. But knowing that you know the decisions he's made and in terms of how he's viewed as, as a commissioner in all like the big four North American sports, I think Rob Manford's pretty much the leader of the list in terms of commissioners who people hate. Or he's up there at least. So it was cool yeah, to see him NFL get booed. Yeah, the NFL commissioner. Yeah, Roger Goodell as well. The, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, there's a the there's a few of them. There is a few of them, but Manfred, of course, we know what he's done 
some decisions, interesting decisions that he's made over the past couple of years. So either way, good to see the draft underway, and um, I'm curious to see who the Jays pick in their next pick in the 90s, and we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, Gunnar Hoagland, high upside, and of course it's a little bit of a risk, and time will tell to see if this uh, draft pick's going to work out or not for them. Yeah, it was interesting to see like all the mascots dancing around in the, oh, yeah. the theater, <laughs> whatever they were holding it. I guess it was in Colorado. Yeah. Um, it wasn't at the MLB Network studio, but I like that they're doing that. I like that it's no longer, you know, this private tiny event that only diehard baseball fans care about. They're trying to develop it into something akin to what the draft is in other sports. And yeah, it's never going to be the same thing because the players don't go straight to the, the, the majors. They don't go straight to the teams that you cheer for. They are, like you mentioned, at best, they're like two years away. That's a lot of time to wait for, and that makes it kind of less exciting than uh, than what you see in other sports. But I still think that it can be developed and, and worked on to the point where, you know, fans do get more excited about it. I think this year was the right step in the, in the right direction. 100%. So before we move on, though, I know I want to go mm-hmm. back to what you said earlier about the Derby. I know that you said Pete Alonso is going to win it, so I guess, we'll, I guess we'll talk about the Derby quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I got to go with Shohei Otani to win the home run derby. Okay. But here's the thing, though. he So Otani goes against Soto in round one. And then, of course, Pete Alonso goes against Salvador Perez in round one. So a round two matchup is what would happen between Otani and Alonso. And then, of course, the other side of the bracket is Joey Gallo against Trevor Story. And then Matt Olson versus Trey Mancini. But I'm pretty excited for this. I'm still a little bit disappointed that we don't see Fernando Tatis and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But either way... The first home run derby since 2019. I will be tuned in tonight. And Mark, I know how we, you feel about the derby, so I'm sure you're very interested about this one. Oh, yeah. I am very excited. Um, yeah, I like I said, I think all the eyes are going to be on Shohei Otani, but I don't know. I just got a feeling about Pete Alonso. I think like I, I think that second-round matchup, like you said, between Alonso and Otani, because, like, you know, we can talk about Juan Soto all we want. We can talk about Perez all we want, but... I think we all know it's going to be Alonzo and uh, and Otani in the second round. And I think, like, you can look back at what Guerrero did um, in his round. I think it was Jock Peterson he was facing. And they both, like, broke home run records. They went to, like, double overtime or something like that. You know, who knows a home run derby format. But um, I think we could see something like that between them two. But my money is on Alonzo. It should be fun. Regardless, it's going to be an awesome night. I'm very excited for that. Um, okay, uh, we've talked about the trade deadline a little bit. And I wanted to bring up something that I've seen a lot of people talking about. I know on Jay's talk yesterday, they were talking about it. Um, we have been, up until this point, focusing on the fact that the Blue Jays are buyers. And they already have been buyers. They've gone out and got Trevor Richards. They got Adam Simmer and Corey Dickerson. They got Jacob Barnes. They're in the market for Richard Rodriguez, potentially in the market for Craig Kimbrell. Um, Some people have been saying that the Blue Jays should not be buyers. Some people have said the Blue Jays should be sellers. And there is a legitimate argument here. Robbie Ray, he's a free agent after this season. Marcus Simeon is a free agent after this season. Both those guys are incredibly valuable pieces. And if we're looking at the reality of the team right now, the Blue Jays aren't winning the World Series this year. Like, that's like no one would disagree with me in saying that. They aren't winning the World Series this year. The argument is you sell off Simeon and Ray 
you get prospects back. You even get you could get major league talent back that's ready to compete. You know, next year you build the team up to win next year. You're not going to win this year, even if you make it into the postseason. You're not going to win this year, so you sell off those guys to make a run for it in future years. Um, how do you feel about that idea, Bryson? Because I think there is some validity to it. I don't. First off, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to do this in any world. Um, I think that you know that they, they want to show confidence in the team that they have. Um, they don't want to be selling off guys when they got talent like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Bo Bichette. They don't want to be telling these young guys, "Sorry, you got to take a step back and wait a year." Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think you know there could be some benefits to it happening. Yeah, uh, this is it's a tough one because as much as you don't want it to be possible or true, there is I guess you can't rule it out. I mean, this team is far from even being a lock to make that second wild card spot. We know that there's a good chance that they easily miss out of the playoffs this year. And of course, if that's the case and you don't move people like Simeon or Ray, those guys are going to be walking into the free agent market and they're likely going to get paid. We saw what Robbie Ray did yesterday and we've seen what Marcus Simeon's did all year, both of them, especially Robbie Ray all year, the turnaround that both of them have had. And it's a tough one, but you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen. I don't think it makes sense. I just think that if you're going to build a brand like the UR right now and you want to convince people to stay and, you know, sign people like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, you can't be going backwards, even though, even though realistically, if they do fall out of it, I think it makes sense. I just think we're really, I think it's too early for that. And I know the deadline's at the end of July. I think the Jays had to be, if they were going to consider it, I think they had to be in a worse spot. And I think, too, a couple weeks ago, when even when the Jays fell, I think it was two games below 500 for a few days. I remember mentioning to you guys in one of our chats if this is possible, if this is something that the Jays got to consider. And then, of course, the Jays kind of wanted a little bit of a run again, but now they're currently, I think, two games above 500 anyway. So they're hovering around 500 still. Um, they're four and a half games out of a wild card spot. Do I think that they're going to do it? No, I think they. It's something that could have easily been considered though if the Jays were in a worse spot. So that's how I feel about it. I do think they're going to be buying still, but the you know the fact to throw everything away to go on a run this year, I don't see that happening. I see it more of a conservative buy, maybe a little bit more aggressive than 2020. But like I think what you mentioned, how you're going to build for next year as well. I think that's something that the Jays or the approach that the Jays are going to take. So. It's just, it's a tough spot regardless. And, you know, I know that there's teams that are kind of announcing or that they're going to be selling or kind of revealing themselves that they're going to be selling. The Chicago Cubs is a team that we discussed our last episode. Of course, Craig Kimbrell, uh, we were talking about. And of course, ever since um, a couple days ago, I believe the Cleveland baseball team as well came out and said that they're going to be selling. And that could, you know, include so many stars and someone that's been highlighted around the Jays in a recent report is Zach Plesak. And then, of course, um, Jose Barrios as well with the Twins. That Apparently, according uh, to a few hot stoves, or uh, just according to multiple reports, is that the Jays are actively discussing both of those players. So based on what we're hearing, it doesn't seem anything like or anything to the point that the Jays are going to be selling. It seems like they're going to be buying. And regardless if it's Plesak, Barrios, we know that's two names that we've most recently heard of, and there's a few other names that we discussed in our last episode. It all all signs point to them buying, if anything. So that's why I think it was a dec- it's a decent idea, or it's something that you have to consider if the Jays were in a worse situation. Maybe if they were um, obviously still below 500 right now, and at least over five or six games back of a wildcard spot, because... 
that's then because then you're going to look at it and then you're going to wonder what's the point of buying if you're still going to miss the playoffs and now you're gar- you're not even guaranteed to keep both Robbie Ray or Marcus Simeon not even you're not guaranteed to keep both of them at all you're not even guaranteed to keep one of them you know do the Jays want both of them back of course they're going to want both of them back it just you know it's it, we all know the business and we all know the market it's obviously not a guarantee and it's not obviously how it works so it's just a lot of question marks heading into the offseason with someone like Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray do you try and extend one of them who knows what the Jays are going to try and do with that but all signs point to them buying, and that's why I hope that the Jays don't even consider selling them. Based off of what we know, it's not going to be the case. But if they were definitely in a tougher spot right now, I think it's something that they should have considered. But right now, they still have a chance to make the playoffs, be that second wild card spot. Uh, they got to buy, but they can't go over the top, which is why I'm fine with how they approach this deadline so far. Yeah, I think things will have to go catastrophically wrong for them to end up selling like... You know, given the point that they're at right now, they're going to have to lose like 10 in the next 14 games. Um, like it's going to have to be at that point because like you said, you can't be con- trying to convince people that you're a winning team, that you're on your competitive schedule, that you're right there in the thick of things and then say, no, sorry, you know, wait till next year. Better luck next year. We'll do it then. We promise. But we broke our promise this year. Like you can't do that unless there's significant reason. So I think really what the front office should be telling the players right now is it's up to you. Like if you want us to make a big push at the deadline, go out and win 10 of the next 14 games, like put up big numbers against the Rangers, against the Mets, against the Red Sox. Um, They have a tough schedule coming out of the break, but if they put up a good fight, you know, they could be in the thick of it and you can make a push. But Um, You know, if you lose, like, part of the reality of the situation is we got these guys on expiring contracts. We can turn them into something that's going to make our team better in the long run. We need to do that. So I think it depends on how the team plays. But, you know, even if they're 500 uh, before the break or even a little bit below 500, I don't think they're going to sell just because of the factors you mentioned. So um, I, I think part of the reason why I like this idea to some extent like I don't want the Blue Jays to sell but the reason why um I don't know maybe I accept it a little bit more is that I'm just thinking of what happened last year like you go you acquire these guys at the deadline and then you know you are swept by the Rays in the first round of the postseason like that's what is concerning me is that you know, why, what's the point in holding on to these guys if we're just going to lose in the first round of the postseason? If we're going to lose a one game wild card, even if we win a one game wild card, we lose in the ALDS or the ALCS. Like, what's the point of holding on to these guys when we know we're not going to win this year? So, that's a part of me that, you know, part of me says you can't rebuild or, or, you know, take a step back this year because you're trying to convince your fans, your players, your entire team infrastructure that you're going to win. But part of me says there's no point in holding on to these guys when you don't have any chance of winning the World Series this year. So I'm torn. Um, That's where I stand on it. It's a difficult conversation to have. It is. And when you look at it, too, when you want to ask yourself is, okay, so currently 45 and 42, the Jays are coming out of or going into the All-Star break. That's where they're going to be sitting uh, as of Friday when the unofficial second half starts. How many wins... Do you know based on what we see? So, the first two wildcard spots right now with Tampa and Oakland, Tampa's 53 and 37, Oakland's 52 and 40. 
how many wins are you going to need to even get into a wild card spot? You know, are you going to are you going to need 90 wins, 91, 92? There's a decent chance you do. And when you want to look at that, regardless of where the Jays sit, to get anywhere close to maybe, I don't know, at least 85 wins to 90, you're going to need to go on a really big run. And it's it's not, you know, it's not impossible, but it's, you need a lot of, you need more than one lengthy winning streak. And that's what you're saying, Mark, is that you need to go on a run and you need to go on more than one run. Perhaps, you know, a couple of people spitballing some numbers, you know, going 47 and 28 out of the All-Star break. Again, not impossible, but... With the way the Jays have played this year, we know that they've been inconsistent. Is it something that you can really bank on them doing? Obviously, anything can turn around. The Jays are still, you know, a couple pieces away from, I guess, being more complete of a team. They're going to be making a couple more moves before the end of the the month at the trade deadline. So that's where you look at it, and you that's where you can, I guess, argue to that point, saying, are we really that confident based on what we've seen since April first? If if that if this team's capable of doing that, especially on a tough schedule coming out of the All Star break, and you know just a team that's been inconsistent, like I just mentioned. So you know pre All Star break, the Jays had the fifth hardest schedule in baseball, or no, in the AL. Sorry, with opponents winning percentage of at least five ten. Post All Star break, the Jays will have the third easiest schedule in the AL with opponents winning percentage of four ninety one. So while the schedule is not going to be the easiest. It's not going to be, you know, through the roof difficult what we saw at the beginning of the year. So that's why it's going to be interesting to see how, where, you know, how confident the Jays are. And maybe the Jays are confident that they can at least keep one of Simeon or Ray. If maybe that's why they're going to be locked in. But yeah, going back to what we were talking about, like, how do you tell your fans? And even after this offseason, you signed George Springer. The year before, you signed Hunjin Ryu. So $150 million for Springer, $80 million for Ryu. That's a lot of money to commit to these guys. And then all of a sudden... I guess, pull a 180 for this year only and say, by the way, we're going to trade our remaining assets in Simeon and Ray. That's why it's it's definitely a tough position. You can see both sides of the argument, but at the end of the day, based on where they currently sit, because it can definitely be better for sure, but also it could be worse. Uh, they, They have to keep, I think they have to buy, but not over the top. Definitely something similar to last year, but it's just interesting to see how you can look at it from both sides. And it is closer than you think in terms of what they should do, because you can make a decent argument for both sides. Like I just mentioned, the run that you need to get on and, you know, you need to catch these teams and you need to make you perhaps we all know the wild card's different. We all know it's like that's it's called a wild card for a reason. You could easily need 90 wins. That could easily be the case for you to get into at least the first or second spot. So we'll see what happens with that. But lots of things happening. And um, we're going to see what happens in terms of what happens after the All-Star break and what the Jays end up finishing off the trade deadline with. Mm -hmm. And I do want to make sure people understand, like, this year is different than, like, 2015. Like, you can say, yeah, they were 51-50 and at the deadline in 2015, but... The situations of where the teams are at are very different. Like Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion, that was some of their final years. You knew that, you know, it was do or die at that point in 2015 and 2016. It's not what it is for the Blue Jays. Um, If they sit out this year, it's not like they're going to have to wait five, ten years to compete again. It's we have to wait until next year when we're going to be even better. So that's why I don't... I. That's why I'm leaning more towards, you know, selling off those big guys. But like we said, it depends a lot on what they do at, after the break. Um, okay, one last thing I wanted to mention just in this podcast, just because I thought it was cool. Um, MLB PR recently announced um, the 
uh, stats for viewership on TV for baseball this year compared to 2020. Um, national television in 2021 on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball viewership is up 26%. Um, Fox Saturday Baseball up 32%. TBS up 49%. Fox Sports up 78%. MLB Network up 34%. Um, MLB TV, um, it, in 2021, it was the most watched first half in history. Um, six billion, uh, more than six billion total minutes watched, with his, which is 67% more than 2020. Um, in 2021, they have the top 10 most watched days ever, the top four most watched games ever. Um, like a lot of stats right there, but you got to be happy with how that turned out. Um, I, I think baseball is on the right track. We're marketing players. We're marketing guys like Shohei Otani, um, bringing new people in the game. Um, my sister, who never watches baseball, uh, she brought up one day Shohei Otani. And I was like, you know who that is? And we were just talking about it because I think there was a special on CBC or something about Shohei Otani. Um, so obviously this stuff is getting more people to think about baseball, talk about baseball, watch baseball. Uh, but it's exciting and I can't wait to see what the second half has in store, even if it's not going to go the way we want it to for the Blue Jays. Yeah, so much for a dying sport eh? in terms of the uh, viewership. So yeah, I mean, that's very cool in terms of that. I mean, I'm sure the ratings are up this year compared to last year for the Jays as well. I mean, it's just... It's all um, it's all working out right now, and like yeah, I think we're on the right track. I just it feels like every team now, or more teams are getting that young stud that you can market around and center that franchise around with. So we have we all know our story with Vladdy. We all know other people like Otani. You know, doing things that we haven't seen since Babe Ruth. People making the argument that it's better than Babe Ruth. We know people like Wander Franco who just came up with Tampa Bay. Fernando Tatis. As much as Ronald Acuna just tore his ACL, he's another guy, and that's horrible for the game in terms of him going out. And I'm sure there's so many other people that I haven't mentioned so yeah um, I'm not surprised I think even going back to the earlier parts of the year what I really enjoyed you know other than Blue Jays baseball was those early I guess I think it was you know just I think it was the first series of the year between the Padres and Dodgers on Sunday Night Baseball those games were electric I mean and of course you know those are as well back uh, back in April a lot of fans weren't even in both ballparks so I'm interested to see um, those two play again. I'm sure they're going to be on Sunday Night Baseball again in the second half at some point, and that's one rivalry I really like. But I still wish the Jays can get on Sunday Night Baseball at least once. So that, I'm hoping that can happen. I guess it's something that they just got flexed into, which is possible down the line. But they got to go on a run like we mentioned. they got to be better than 45 and 42 if they're going to make it. So before you wrap it up, um, there's, just, there's recent development uh, of a Blue Jays return to Toronto update, and I would like to read it to you. Okay. All right, so from Blue Jays Hot Stove on Twitter, who originally broke the news in terms of them submitting a proposal to the federal government, he or she is reporting. Anyways, the account is reporting, expecting some news over the next 24 to 48 hours regarding the Ontario return to live professional sports. To my understanding, positive progress has been made on the federal level recently. July 30th is becoming more likely, even if they don't get in July 30th, August 20th is certainly going to be played in Toronto. In other words... August 20th, they will be back for sure. But July 30th, it seems like it's getting more likely. Um, 
it's yeah. And then of course we all know he mentioning last year how the, the federal government did a one eighty on the Jays in terms of that they thought they were gonna be playing here. But based on the account's understanding, a positive announcement should be coming soon about live sports in Ontario. I think if we get the good news within the next twenty four to forty eight hours, we may need to do an emergency pod or something like that. But um it sounds like we're gonna be getting an answer soon. I'm skeptical. Oh, that is yeah. July 30th, August 20th, I believe July 30th. I do not see happening at all. You know, this close to the fact, I think, I don't think that's going to happen, but August 20th. Yeah. All for it. Let's go. Let's see it. Um, and I'm also not working on August 20th, so <laughs> I could make my way to the Rogers center if they have fans. So that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, hoping for more Padres games on Sunday night baseball, always electric, I'm continually impressed by how incredible games at Petco Park look. They look so, so exciting. Um, I mean, their fans are just insane. Some of the best in baseball after, of course, the Blue Jays. Um, Okay, well, we'll wrap it up there. We're excited to watch the Home Run Derby in a couple hours. But until then, we will catch you, I guess... After the All-Star break, after that first series against Texas, um, we do have a special episode coming out over the All-Star break. It's our mid-season awards episode. We've been previewing it a bunch, but it's going to be so much fun, so make sure you tune into it. It's coming out on July 14th. Um, We had over 33,000 votes for the fan vote in that. We all, uh, you know, gave awards to uh, seven awards to who we thought deserved them. So tune in for that June 14th, and then we'll be back with our regular episodes um, after the first series, after the break. But until then, you can support our podcast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash section138pod. You can follow us on social media at section138pod. Um, you can support our podcast by rating it on Apple Podcast. Um, just help spread the word about what we're doing. And then you can also watch our episodes on YouTube. So... That's all we got to talk about today. We'll be back after the break. We'll catch you next.